everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We are back from our trek to uh, Sardinia and Lake Como and Milano. And um, okay. I have to say, I'm not I happy to be back. I can't believe you didn't start with like a ciao, amici. Well, we're back. Like Allora, va bene. Ciao, amici. Siamo appena tornati dall'Italia. Va bene. There we okay, go. There it's go. so much better when he does it in Italian. But we're glad to be here. Um, you... Well, You're so dressed for fall, man. I am dressed for fall. When what we left uh, you last before uh, the th- long three-day weekend. It was and 100 we, degrees. We jetted out of town uh, for a couple of weeks to head to Italy. I did say on that show that we are leaving summer and arriving in fall. And here I am today in closed-toe shoes because... It is fall in D.C., and I am not happy about it. It's an ugly start to it. But here we are. Here we are. And we've got a great show. So, um, you know, anybody that listens to this show knows that Nikki and I are big romantics, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And one of the most romantic spots in the entire Washington area is the Ashby Inn out in Paris, Virginia. We go out that way a lot. We hike. I shouldn't say we hike. Nikki hikes and drags me along (laughs) at Sky Meadow. Um, The Ashby is really famous for not just... The you know the beauty of the of the inn itself, but also it has one of the best restaurants anywhere in Northern Virginia. And today we're joined by David Saveda, who's the general manager there, and Stephen El I'm sorry El Hafti, who uh, is the wine director. And we're going to be having we're going to be having stuff. We're going to be having stuff. We're going to be drinking. So okay. I can't wait for that. Now, um, if you love Chinese cuisine and you order it a lot, you probably at some point you wonder. How did those names, how did those dishes get their names? We're joined today by Grace Lynn, who is a, a fabulous, award-winning uh, cookbook. New York Times list. New York Times bestseller list author. And she's written a new book called Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite American Chinese Foods. And one of the things that I found most interesting is she's gone in and she, she tells us how these dishes got their names. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I sit and I order... I, I, I've done it wrong. I've said General Chow's chicken. It's General Tso's chicken, right? Grace is nodding. <laughs> yes. um, we find out some really interesting factoids behind that, and she'll join us shortly. Also, Alak Vasa is here. She is a true Renaissance woman and citizen of the world. She's the founder of Element Truffles. She donates much of her profits to helping disadvantaged children, but she's also a wellness and meditation instructor, and she is committed to helping to create a stress-free and really violence-free society. I feel like She's we here. could start the show with a meditation. We should. She's I think we here. did this wrong. Um, the World Cultural Festival has come to Washington. It starts on the 29th, and uh, we're going to tell you all about it. I don't want to get into that at this moment, but it is a really worthy undertaking, and hundreds of thousands of people are coming to town to help change the world. Mm-hmm. And finally, and this is my favorite subject, I have to say, because we're dog lovers. If you're a dog lover, a dog lover wannabe, there's nothing like Bark Social at Pike and Rose in Rockville. Uh, Bark Social is, it's, it's, a, it's mixed media. It's a bar for dog lovers, but it's a dog park for dogs. So you can sit and have a beer and great food. 
and watch dogs play. I've gone there. Unfortunately, our dogs are not the right dogs to take there. Our dogs, but I've spent our dogs the, don't like other dogs. I've spent the day there eating food, drinking beer, and just watching dogs play, and it's a blast. So um, the founder of everything, all of this is Luke Silverman, and it turns out there are Bark Socials and other places, including Maniuk up in Philadelphia. So we're going to hear all about that. But okay. first, let's start off with the Ashby Inn, which is great. Uh, David Saavedra is joining us. Uh, he's the GM at the uh, Ashby Inn. Uh, what's the history on the Ashby Inn? Well, Ashby Inn, as a Ashby Inn and restaurant, has been working for around 40 years. Mm. It started in September of 84. Okay. We have 10 beautiful rooms divided in two buildings. One is the main building. Uh, was built in 1829. It has beautiful history. That George Washington sleep there before he was going to the Battle of Manassas. Mm. Why is George Washington always sleeping? So know, he, he should sleeps. have been up planning a battle. I hey, think I want to have that life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and in the main building we have five beautiful antique rooms that are decorated based on the time of the building. Mm-hmm. You know, with four post beds, and it is actually short ceiling sometimes mm-hmm. uh, we have one suite and then we have this cool house right next to it when we have four really nice more modern suites oh. with balconies overseeing the blue ridge mountains and the and the cows plenty of cows around. well we know that because we've had one of the farms uh, that's right behind you. Avoca Farm. Avoca Avoca, Farm. Right. Yes, yes, they've correct. been in studio. Great. They yes. are great. And There's their cows Virginia are Virginia Wago Beef. Yeah, you can pick basically your cow from the field. Yes. And we cook it at the table. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's Those bad news for Those the cows. Poor cows. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us what you're pouring first? Steven? Steven, so, come up to the mic. Yeah, for uh, the fall, uh, I chose uh, a, an apple drink. Excellent. Okay. So we're going to do a Calvados with uh, a little bit of uh, lemon juice in it. Excellent. Uh, we add sage, and uh, we're going to shake it very well. Uh, All right. We like the shaking. We love we the like shaking. The All right, and then so we're going to finish the drink with uh, ginger beer. Okay. Beautiful. Okay, so pour the first cocktail, and then uh, we'll see you uh, guys in a little bit. All after right. we talk with Grace. Brilliant. All right. Grace Lynn. All the way in Northampton, Massachusetts. Hi, Grace. How are you? So let's start off. I mean, we, we, we want to talk about the book again. It's the history, myths, and legends behind your favorite American Chinese foods. How do, who was General Tso? No, you're starting. <laughs> sorry. We're starting at the wrong it's place. driving me Grace. crazy. I know. But he's starting at the wrong place. Can we get a little bit of background about you? Not, you know, everybody decides they're going to write the stories the way that you write the stories. You know, this is a food book. It's not a cookbook. And that's very different. So can we talk about your concepts and how you've come up with it and then how you wound up putting together Chinese menu? Sure. So this book, um, Chinese menu, is not a cookbook. Thank you for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. It's also not a picture book and it's not a novel. It's actually a collection of about 40 stories. And it's about almost 300 pages. So I like to tell people if you can picture like a collection of Greek myths, you know, like how there's always these big, thick books of Greek myths. Right. It's just like that, but about Chinese food instead. And so uh, that's what Chinese menu is. Uh, I like to tell kids that, you know, when you go into a Chinese restaurant and you open your menu and you see all these names of dishes, they're actually not just names of dishes, they're names of stories. And this book, Chinese Menu, is all of those stories. Well, so let me ask you about that. I mean, did you know that? 
beforehand? Did you know that every dish's name, even something as simple as like sweet and sour pork sort of came with a story? Did you already know that? Or was this a lot of research for you? Um, Both, actually. Uh, Some of them I knew had stories, basically because my uh, family did, my father or my relatives, especially the ones with the very strange names, like Buddha jumps over the wall, you know, he would tell me that story. Right. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, the sweet and sour uh, pork and those things, it never really clicked for me until I started doing research on this Mm -hmm. book and I found them. And it was just so magical to realize, oh, every dish has a story. I love that. And that. Yeah, and I loved it too. And that's why I felt so passionate about making this book. Oh, well, so let's talk about some of the stories because they are really interesting. Um, I want to sort of start with oolong tea because if you go to a traditional Chinese-American restaurant anywhere in this country, you know, that silver urn goes on your table, right, with the little porcelain cups <laughs> and you drink tea. But nobody ever, like, thinks about it. It just gets poured like, what is the history behind that? Oh, okay. So tea is actually really, really important in Chinese cuisine. Mm-hmm. Though, honestly, traditionally, they didn't serve any beverage with their food at dinner times. Traditionally, mm-hmm. uh, what they served was soup. Like that was what you drank. Uh, tea, though, was really important, though. They actually had like a whole separate separate meal time just for tea, like it was tea separately. But when Chinese immigrants came to the United States uh, and they realized that Westerners would like to have a beverage with their meal, not just soup, that's when they brought out tea. And so uh, tea has become ubiquitous with uh, Chinese food here in the United States. Now, the tea that we often get served in Chinese restaurants is oolong tea, Mm -hmm. which translates to black dragon tea, which, of course, everybody thinks is going to be like a really amazing story because it's black dragon. You think (laughs) it's this mythical creature like coming down with tea leaves or something like that. And there are stories like that in the book, especially uh, about the white hair silver needle tea that has the dragons in it. Okay. Black dragon tea actually does not have any drags in it. It's about a tea, it's about a family of tea farmers who had the last name Long, which means dragon, okay. and uh, they had a son who discovered this kind of tea. And he worked so long in the fields, and he got so tan that they nicknamed him Black because he was so dark skinned. And so he became, his tea was Black Dragon Tea, just because he was very tan and he had the last name of Dragon. Oh my God, so I that story that. is not as exciting as some of the others, but no, it's still but it's really Well, I've got one that's <laughs> going to be exciting because we're going to have to take a break. But yes. if you're going to tell us about how Buddha jumps over the wall, got <laughs> got its name. Well, I thought Bird's Nest was really interesting we're as well. Yes, we read the book. Right. We read the book, Chris. Yeah. It was really <laughs> enjoyable. Okay, Yay. we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out more about the stories in your book. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. So last time Nick and I were in Georgetown, we just wanted to get some food and chill out a little, and we went to Tony and Joe's Seafood Place on the Georgetown waterfront, uh, and I, we had a great meal. I, we had oysters. I don't remember what else we had. Well, the most fantastic thing about Tony and Joe's is, honestly, its location. It is right there on the water. You're looking at the Kennedy Center, and you're looking at the water, and there's all those boats going by, so you have great people watching. And that's whether you're dining outdoors on their amazing patio or dining indoors with their 
floor-to-ceiling windows. Um, of course, they have amazing seafood, like the oysters, usually local, um, but great lobster, great fish. And, uh, they have great steaks there, too. Yes, and they have steaks, too. It's just a great place to go for great drinks and great food with a view. I love their line. They say, come for the food, stay for the view, and that's what you should do. Tony and Joe's. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to the fabulous Grace Lynn, mm-hmm. who wrote a book called Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite American Chinese Foods. And Wait, before you ask your question. I want to ask my question. I know question. you do. I, I, but Grace, you mentioned about um, in traditional Chinese culture, this sort of progression of eating started with soup. What is traditional progression of eating and how did it morph to accommodate American tastes? Sure. There's actually not really a progression of eating okay. in Chinese cuisine. They would serve the soup, the rice, and then you would have your uh, dishes, your meat and vegetable dishes, uh, all served at the same time. That's why there's so many dishes on the table. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the main dish was actually considered either the rice or the noodles, and the side dishes were like the beef and broccoli sure. or sure. the uh, or or the the sweet and sour pork, you know, like those were the side dishes. It was the rice that was the main dish. But here we've kind of switched it up. (laughs) Well, because in the United States, protein is more important than noodles and carbs. I mean, you know, that's just sort of how it works. All right, go ahead, ask your Uh, question. All right. I mean, Buddha jumps over the wall. Where did that come (laughs) from? And talk about the dish, too. Oh, okay. Buddha jumps over the wall is a very, very decadent, uh, kind of stew. Uh, it used to have shark fin into it, in it, but nowadays, right, uh, we, because of environmental reasons, hmm. uh, most most places do not include that. But it is, but it shows you how decadent this this stew used to be, it, or is. Um, so the reason why it's called Buddha jumps over the wall is because a group of scholars uh, decided to meet one day, and they met in a garden next to a Buddhist temple. Now all the scholars kind of wanted to show off to each other how well off and how prosperous they were. So everybody brought ingredients to make uh, make dinner and they brought the best ingredients they could afford, you know? And so they put all the ingredients in a stew pot and they let it stew all day. And then at the end of the day, they finally took off the cover of the stew pot and the smell, the aroma was so amazing and so tantalizing that all the Buddhist monks next door jumped over the wall to okay. see what smelled so good to eat. And so that's why it's called Buddha jumps over the wall, because the smell of this stew is supposed to be so good. It makes Buddhist monks uh, break their, their meditation and come over to see what smells so it good. It should be called Buddha walks through the, ma- <laughs> that's the wall. That's such a but... great story. Um, can we talk about some of the art? Because the art in your book is really beautiful, and I know that's very important. Well, that's the question. Is this all original art for the book? Yes, yes. So I'm also an illustrator. Um, mm-hmm. Most people wow. actually know me as a children's book author and right. illustrator. Right. Uh, so uh, all the art is done by me. Mm-hmm. Um, the the cover art and the the book is actually separated, just like a Chinese menu. So there's like a appetizer section, mm-hmm. there's a chef special section, there's a uh, dessert section, and those section dividers are all traditionally painted uh, by me, uh, and they're kind of um, inspired by like 19. 19- uh, early 1900s um, Chinese advertising uh, uh, advertising illustrations. Uh-huh. You might, if I, you know, they they're usually like these beautiful Asian women with a, a chi pao on, yeah. and like holding right. holding like a can of a can of smoked salmon or something like right. that. Um, and so, 
uh, if you know those advertisements, you know they're very ornate. Uh, they have lots and lots of borders and lots of lots of colors. It's a it's a kind of a uh, you know here in the United States we love minimalism, mm -hmm. but uh, those ads love maximalism. <laughs> so right. it's kind of an ode to that. Now to one that. of the one of the illustrations I'm sorry to jump in that I loved was General So. And I want to wrap up with who the heck was he? <laughs> <laughs> sure. General Tso, the illustrations for those, the story illustrations are a little bit different. Those are, are like two color illustrations. Uh, so those are not done exactly the same way. But General Tso and General Tso's chicken is mm -hmm. a very interesting story and a it very is. twisted story that I'll kind of sum up very quickly for you. But I really encourage people to read this, the book because it tells the real many, many ups and downs of that story. Right. Uh, so there really is a General Tso. Mm -hmm. uh, he really was a real person, but he had absolutely nothing to do with this chicken dish. He did not invent it. He never ate it. And it's not even known if he even really liked chicken or not. <laughs> what, what it's all about is that it happened when Taiwan was considered the Republic of China. And back then, when Taiwan was considered the Republic of China, they were having a huge state dinner uh, with the United States uh, dignitaries coming in. And because they were having such uh, important dignitaries coming in, the chef of the government wanted to have, you know, very, very good food. And so he created this brand new dish, this brand new chicken dish. And he wanted to give this dish a really uh, dignified name. And he kept thinking like, what could I name this chicken dish? What should I name this chicken dish? And he thought about his hometown and he was from the home, he was from the province of Hunan. And in Hunan, the hometown hero is General Tso. And he's like, yes, I will call it General Tso's chicken. That is a dignified name. That is a name with power. <laughs> That's a name like with, with, you know, much respect. And so they served the dish and it was called General Tso's Chicken. Well, I'm and waiting for somebody to name there, a dish. it just exploded. They're going to name a dish here. David Nellis Clam Sauce one day. I, <laughs> okay. I Grace, Grace, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell everybody, please, where they can find you on Instagram and where they can find the book. Sure. You can find the book wherever books are sold, uh, like Barnes and Nobles and the Amazon. <laughs> but uh, you can uh, but you can find me at Pacey Lin on Instagram, P-A-C-Y-L-I-N. That's kind of my Chinese name. So I hope to see you there. It's a beautiful book. It Thank really you, Grace. Is. Thanks for joining us Thanks, today. Grace. Congratulations. All Thank right, you. Stephen, we're coming back to you. This yes. is a peppy drink. It is a very peppy <clears throat> drink. Whoa. So tell us a little bit how you come about putting together the cocktails for the Ashby Inn. Uh, so it depends. It's all seasonal. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we do have like uh, cocktails for spring, mm -hmm. fall, and winter as well. Yeah. Well, since we're going into fall, how do you go about pulling from locally and um, and you know how do you decide well, I, what's going to go on the yeah, menu? Are you inventing new drinks for right. this fall? Uh, pre well, this one is uh, okay. so it's apple season. So right. we uh, combine, you know, the seasonal fruit, mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, we added the Calvados. Calvados is an from apple Normandy, sure. and it's an apple brandy. Mm -hmm. And uh, to soften the actual uh, brandy, we add a little bit of uh, lemon juice, mm. uh, and uh, we balance the acidity with the. Uh, the um, sugar. Well, it's a delicious drink. So um, I see you brought in some wines today. 
do you deal with the wine program at uh, the Ashbyn? Yeah, actually, that's my specialty. That is your specialty. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Well, so um, we're going to get to our next guest. Why don't you tell us what you're pouring next, and then when we come back, we can talk we'll about the wines. wines. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to start. But you got to look the, at uh, me. We we're going to start with the Sauvignon Blanc, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, we are staying local. And in this case, we're going to be uh, with Linden, Linden Winery. Oh, good way to Excellent. start. We right? love Linden. Yep. Excellent. Uh, fabulous uh, winemaker. Yes. Amazing. Uh, one of the best on the East Coast. Without a doubt. And we're going to do his Sauvignon Blanc from Avenus. Avenus is a plot that uh, All right. the fruit All right. comes from. Why don't Thank you pour you. that? And then we're going to so talk. We're going to talk gonna to meditative. a lot, Vasa. Well, we're going to do that. But we really, before we talk about... Element truffles and everything else. You were you weren't just an attorney. You were an attorney on a subject. I couldn't even figure out what the heck it was you did. What? Okay, so are you so, going to ask a question? Yes, I want to hear a little bit about your background because how you got from there to here is pretty. It's quite a journey. So um, I was a trader on Wall Street. I used to work with Goldman Sachs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, I enjoyed every bit of what I was doing, but. Something inside of me kept on telling me that something was missing. There was this inner voice that kept on telling me, you're meant to do something else. Mm-hmm. And at some point I was like, you know, it's midlife crisis somewhere. It's fine. I'm just bored with what I'm doing and let me just stick to what I'm doing. But this inner voice would just not stop. It was so kind of, you know, mm-hmm. out there. And that's when I decided, okay, I should follow my passion, which was always been with food and mm-hmm desserts and something sweet. Like I always question this. Why doesn't every meal start with dessert first? Right. I agree with you. And so I finally just gave in and said, okay, you know, if I don't follow my passion, my inner voice to create something that I'm meant to, then I'll have a regret in my life. And that's how um, Elements Truffles. So that's how my journey from Wall Street to Clean Eats. I said attorney. I was wrong. You were a trader, which is even more complex. Okay. So you started your business. Um, and just give us a quick form of one on the business. Sure. So um, I'm the founder of Elements Truffles. Uh, mm-hmm. We make Ayurveda-powered uh, clean and functional chocolates. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with farmers in Ecuador where we get our cacao from, and they're sweetened with raw honey. Mm-hmm. And each chocolate bar is infused uh, with Ayurveda, Ayurvedic superfoods. Ayurveda is this ancient food science mm-hmm. uh, from the country that I come from, uh, India. So mm-hmm. I wanted to blend in that science with something that we look at as a guilty indulgence and convert it into a joyful indulgence. I love that. Well, okay. familiar with Ayurvedic medicines and all of that. I mean, that's when did you when did you come to the U.S. from from India? I came to the U.S. in '98 as a student mm-hmm. uh, to study computer science. So my well, journey. <laughs> I mean, you were an algorithmic trader. I don't even know. I can't even spell that. Okay. So, so well, wait, wait. So so when you were a child, I mean, were you were you inculcated with with uh, Ayurvedic? Um, that whole context, I guess, is a way to put it. So I think Ayurveda was kind of naturally integrated in our lifestyle, in mm-hmm. our daily meals. Um, the missing part was the education. The Like you said, Ayurveda was only viewed as wellness supplements or something sure. you have when you're not well. But only when I came to this country, I started having health issues. I came across learning about meditation is when I started tapping into, okay, what am I eating? How is it impacting me? Mm-hmm. And that took me back to my Ayurvedic roots, and I was impressed. I was like, oh, my goodness. This, this sounds- works. Yes, and it's so simple, and it meets you where you're at in your life. Mm-hmm. And I thought I need to bring this to the world in a more fun way, not as supplements or wellness pills, 
but wrapped in a bar of chocolate, Not which bad. I love. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about meditation and then this huge event that's going to be in the district next week and how we can all get involved with it. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking with Alak Vasa, who is here in town for an incredible event that's coming up. First of all, she's the founder of Element Truffles, which are good to eat and good for you and good for your spirit and good for your good for your everything. But there is an event coming up called the World Culture Festival on the 29th, and some 500,000 people are expected in town to celebrate all the facets so of this. So how did you get involved with the festival? So this is the fourth edition of the World Culture Festival, right. um, being hosted for the first time um, in the U.S. And um, I uh, came across the Art of Living Foundation. The Art of Living Foundation is hosting the World mm-hmm. Culture Festival. And I came across this foundation about 20 years ago uh, when a friend told me about them and how their breathing techniques and meditation were these amazing programs they offered. Mm. And at the time, I was working on Wall Street, and I definitely needed those. I had no doubt. <laughs> and deep breath, deep so breath, that was right. your introduction to meditation. Exactly. Okay. And ever since, like after having learned the programs and how it has impacted my life, mm-hmm. uh, I've truly, you know, the foundation has given me a platform to give back. And I have attended the last two editions of the World Culture Festival. Wow. And they were huge. Like the last one in India was um, attended by 3.75 million people, and we all meditated together. Can you imagine if everyone had so used the restroom at once. I know. So I don't really understand. <laughs> so can you explain it? Because it's so, like, in the truest sense of the word, of awesome. Like, it's such an awesome endeavor. Can you explain how the event works? Because there's so many things going on. It is. At one level, I want to say the event is like magic. Okay. Because... It is something you cannot comprehend with mm-hmm. logic, mm-hmm. but you can experience it in every cell of your body. Mm-hmm. And that's what I experienced uh, when I attended the last World Culture Festival. And when we heard that it is getting hosted in United States, mm-hmm. there was no doubt in my mind that we had to get involved in all capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the programming for this started about a year ago. And this is been inspired by the vision of uh, Gurudev Shishi Ravi Shankar. Um, he has this vision of a stress-free, violence-free society. Mm-hmm. And I feel that vision is so relevant right now. Yes. When the country is feeling so polarized, um, there's so much depression, gun shooting. I don't know. I feel like what times are we living in? It's stressful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and They're called crazy times. Okay. And kind of in this time, 400,000, half a million people coming together Mm -hmm. in America's backyard Mm -hmm. at the iconic National Mall and meditating. Right. But that's not the only thing that's happening. Wait, wait, wait. Don't go past that yet because there's a a purpose to that. The the group meditation of 400,000 people is intended to send out a vibe, if you want to call it that, to do what? I think uplift the consciousness to Mm -hmm. celebrate the humanness in us, that we're all one, getting touch with who we really are. So is it a, is everybody supposed to sit on the mall and come and meditate? Is it a, um, is a, is it a lead meditation? Like, how is that going to happen? Because I need, I need somebody talking to me my entire meditation. Like, (laughs) if not, my brain is totally over there. So what is the meditation going to be like? Yeah, so... It's a culmination of three things, music, meditation, and meals. Mm. So there are going to be performances. Um, There are about 60,000 
seven sorry uh 15000 performers uh okay. coming representing 60 different cultures um, wow we have 80 different food trucks mm-hmm. that are going to be there um offering food from different parts of the world okay and then the meditation is going to be guided by gurudev uh and yes we're all just going to be sitting there with our eyes closed and led into uh the what meditation what day will that occur that's going to happen on two days, uh, on Friday uh, evening, as well as on the Saturday evening. So there are two global peace meditations uh, that are scheduled for the program. And that is on the mall. On the mall, yes. That's insane. Okay, and then what about all the music and the performances? Is that also, like, are there stages? Is that also on the mall? Yes, there's a huge stage. Um, okay. Like, I just was there last night as watching it getting constructed. And okay. I had goosebumps just to imagine uh, something like this, you know, with the Capitol building in the backdrop. Um, right. It's just uh, going to be magnanimous. Let me jump in. What do you tell skeptics who say, okay, 400,000 people sitting around meditating at the same time, what's that going to do? Who's that going to affect? What will happen? I mean, clearly you believe that there will have a, what's the word I want? It'll send positive, a spiritual stream it'll out there. have a positive impact. Right, but... What do you say to skeptics who say, yeah, that's not going to stop gun violence or that's not going to make people who are, you know, think one way to think another way? I would say come experience it. I was just going to say, because get your they, down there. Exactly. Come and see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there is no better testament than your own experience. I agree. Well, we so now on Friday night, what time does that start at? It starts at um, so, 530. We, yes. have a, we, yes, have a little, starts, we have a little angel in the corner. Yes, it's giving right. out some yes, information. It starts, right. it starts at 5.30. Yes. It starts at 5.30. And then how long will that experience last? It's still 9 p.m. Till 9 p.m. Yes. Wow. Well, we will definitely be there. We cannot wait. Um, I know lots of area restaurants are participating as well. Lots of restaurants in the area are putting out um, menu-specific and they're listed all on your website. Um, can you tell people where they can go to find out about the programming and how they can get involved? Uh, and be there for this um, enormous, enormous event that's happening here in the district next week. Yes, yeah, so it's a free event. So mm-hmm. all you have to do is RSVP. Uh, the website is wcf.artofliving.org. Okay. And I want to personally invite all of you to be there and be part of this historic moment. We cannot wait. Tell everybody also where they can find you and where we can find out more about your fantastic chocolate. Uh, sure, you can find me at elementstruffles.com and on Instagram at elementstruffles. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us all today. Right. Okay. Wow. Ashby, guys, come back up to the Stephen mic. Stephen L. Hufty, let's talk about your wines. Yeah, so... Um, Let's talk about the wine program and your dedication to Virginia wines. Uh, okay, so uh, the uh, wine list or the wine program is uh, we have almost 700 uh, varietals. Wow. On, uh, on that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, six, close to 6,000 bottles in mm-hmm. the cellar. And uh, it's the whole world. Yeah. Okay. Literally, yeah, all. Uh, but you so, have a particular thing, for, and it makes sense, being where you are and what you are for Virginia wines. Correct, yeah. And we do uh, represent uh, about 30, 30 wineries around the area. Well, Virginia has had a huge, um, you know, in the last 30 years, there's been a real change in the kind of wine coming out of Virginia, obviously because a lot of it has to do with the growth of the vines and how things have changed, but also a real commitment and from the people spending money there to make amazing wines. 
Um, so what are some of your favorites that you're pouring these days? Uh, Linden, definitely, number one. Clearly. RDV mm-hmm. would be an excellent... Uh, we love Linden. Rucker. Uh, yeah. We love Rucker. Right. He's a trip. And uh, we have also Howard O'Brien, and that's Chateau O'Brien oh. in Markham. Is that what we're getting poured next? Absolutely. Okay, I'll so what are you pouring for us next? So for, for next, we have uh, the uh, Tunat. It's okay. uh, his special reserve. Mm. And he does an amazing work on the tuna. Tuna is a is a hard one to pull, because okay. it's a, a bold uh, wine with a lot of tannins, and uh, you have that earth in the finish with a little bit of chocolate and spice on the Excellent. finish. Excellent! All right, we're looking forward to it. All, All right. right, thanks so much. Let's go ahead and uh, pour that. Now Thank the you. world is going to go to the dogs because we're going to talk about Bark Social. Bark Social. If you if you don't know anything about it, it's actually a it's a it's a it's a really a bar for dog lovers. They've got great food. They've got great potables for people who even if you don't have a dog, you can go there. But there is a dog park there, and um, I have on several occasions just gone and sat there and watched all the action inside the dog park, and it's unbelievable. And the guy that came up with it is Luke Silverman. He's the hey, founder Luke. and CEO, and he's a smart guy. Hey, how are you? So, how, how, first of all, let's talk a little bit about you. How did you? You're obviously a dog lover, but how did all this happen? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Really excited mm-hmm. to talk about Park Social. Um, started with, uh, you know, quarter-life crisis. I was working a corporate job that, you know, did not really fit with what I wanted to do in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going back to grad school, go blue, big Michigan fan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my niece is there. Working full- oh, nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Got a, we got our first Big Ten game today, so I'm excited. You got to get um, your coach back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was going to grad school full time, working full time, and I was, uh, you know, living uh, with my now wife. And right after we moved in together, she she got a dog mm-hmm. and we started going to this place that uh, we loved. It was a dog park bar and really loved the idea, but thought I could do it a little bit better and bring it back to the area that I grew up in. I was born in Jersey, grew up in New York City and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. My family, uh, my dad's half the family's from Baltimore. So I said, why not bring it to the East Coast, Mid-Atlantic region, and walked in, quit my job on the spot, spent nine months traveling around to a bunch of different concepts in the US. And I had a sales marketing background. Uh, and then obviously going to grad school, kind of strategy and, and really kind of looked at it from a traditional business case perspective mm-hmm. and said, you know, I'm at that time I was in my early thirties, college educated, you know, advanced degree, worked in New York, worked in LA. And I said, I think I can make this a scalable experience and bring it to the markets that, you know, but I've lived you, in in the past. Wait, but did you see like a hole in the market? Like, because I mean, especially after the pandemic, but even pre-pandemic, I mean, people are, I mean, we're crazy dog owners. A a lot of people we know have dogs. Was there a hole in the market where people like, yeah, I want a place to go eat and drink and take my dog. And I mean, you know, there are yappy hours like around town and stuff like that, but it's not specific to the dog. It's more specific to the people. So like what, what were you finding and how were you providing a remedy? Yeah, you, you nailed it. There was a hole, right? Mm-hmm. And the hole was create an amazing experience and community 
and also leverage this great brand, mm -hmm. right? Because as you're aware, there's yappy hours, there's breweries where you can take a dog. Everything's on leash for the most part. Right. Bark Social is uniquely different. Everything's off leash. Mm -hmm. We are hyper-focused on dog lovers and dog owners. You don't have to have a dog to come, but if you don't like dogs, it's probably not the place for you. <laughs> no. And we also wanted to create a great community. So well, like, you know, today we're having a drag show, right? We have singles nights, but everything revolves around your love for dogs. Wait, so the, do awesome. the dogs come in drag too? Because that would be hysterical. Sometimes you'd be you would you'd be no, surprised. No, no, no. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Okay. We no, a... sometimes we we've had some dogs come and drag uh, for drag shows. Well, let me yes. let me take you to the business part. Listen, America spends five billion dollars a year on pets. I just read that. I mean, it's unbelievable. And we are two of them. And we are two. Of, we spend four billion of the five billion. <laughs> right. But but on the business side, I mean, you have a space at Pike and Rose. I don't know how many what your square footage is there, but how do you convince? Federal Realty, the people that own all that space, not to plunk a building on that on that land, That's a good point. as opposed to setting up a bar and a coffee bar and then having a place where dogs run around and people that break up the fights, the occasional fights, and pick up the poop and all of that. I mean, how do you convince them that that business model is going to work and everybody's going to share in a lot of uh, revenue that's generated? Yeah, no, great question. Um can't get into the to the finite details, but right. at a high level, I can say we're one of the top drivers of traffic to every development that sure. we're in. Because you're an amenity. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a um, town center and you're an amenity. Like, that's sells. That sells the apartments. That sells to the other businesses there. Don't you think? Uh, you nailed it. I, I actually need this. to bring... Uh, Nikki and David to pitches for real estate with real estate brokers because uh, you, you nailed it, right? And that's essentially what it is. Over 60% of U.S. households have at least one dog. 25% of U.S. households have at least two dogs. Mm -hmm. The dog is oh, now your first child. Um, <laughs> Americans take uh, owning a dog and raising a dog as serious uh, as child rearing. So, I mean, it's if you're not dog friendly in today's environment, it's very difficult for you to, um, to 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 have a successful business development, anything. So no, 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 wait, us, it's really, Luke, hold on. I got to put yeah. a pin in you. We have to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about it more, and then we can talk about the the overall experience at Bark Social. Cool. This is uh, David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking our favorite subject, which is dogs. Woof, woof. With Luke Silverman, who is the genius behind Bark's – you are a genius, by the way – behind Bark <laughs> Social. Um, I guess, you know, one of the other things that – you know, you can talk about America's uh, love affair with pets. I mean, psychologically, as things get weirder out there in the world, um, uh, yeah. particularly with the pandemic, you had a lot of people that, um, you know, turned to – uh, shelters and adopted dogs and all that. But this is I'm taking us kind of outside the circle of Bark Social. Now you've got a lot of people dropping their dogs back off at shelters, um, and um, the shelters are full of pets okay, that need that homes. Well, is, I'm curious: is Bark Social involved in that world at all, trying to help match up pets and their you know and new owners? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we work with a ton of dog uh, nonprofits and mm -hmm. and uh, foster and um and organizations like that we work with lucky dog here that's probably the biggest brand in the dc metro area they're an amazing organization um, we work with, yeah we work with barks out of baltimore as well mm -hmm. um we have a tap takeovers pretty much every week which give back 
uh, 10% of our beer revenue to a local nonprofit. Most of the times it's animal related. Sometimes it's mental health or, you know, other, other social issues that we, we, we align with, but yeah, part of bark social is truly creating this community. And part of the community is obviously having a great business, having fun, having events. Um, but one of the big things for me is, you know, kind of knowing the, the, the brands that I support. And one of that is, and to not support dog nonprofits, shelters, and stuff like that, it, mm. it, it, to, and to be in this business just seems like a, a really bad strategy. And mm-hmm. so for us, um, we we do a ton of philanthropic work, um, you know, with uh, within it, and it's actually called uh, Frankie Cares. Frankie's my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. And so Frankie Cares is our philanthropic arm where we do a ton of, um, you know nonprofit uh, donations, events, stuff like that. All right. All right. Now I'm going to take you back to Bark Social itself because, I mean, we have a, we have Newfoundlands. We have one who's a lovely dog. Nine out of ten times, she'll, she's wagging her tail at another dog. The tenth time, she wants to kick ass and take names. <laughs> so how do you deal with that? I mean, particularly for people who've never been there before and they don't know how their dog's going to react. And then on occasion when you get the dog that is so overwhelmed – they start trouble. Dog park etiquette. How yeah. do you help with that? Yeah. So we have an extremely robust system in order to, to handle stuff like that. And that's one of the big values of Bark Social. So we have our Bark Rangers. They're basically doggy daycare attendants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're they're the police, the bodyguards, uh, security force at, at Bark Social. But, you know, number one thing for them is to know the dog's names before the human's names. That's number one. Um, you know, we, we basically t- talk about ourselves as the cheers for dogs. And so, you know, within the first couple seconds of a dog entering, we're going to know if it's going to be a good day for that dog or it's going to be a bit of a rough day. And part of their job is to, to look at dog behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, uh, we have a medical advisory board with uh, an animal behaviorist and two vets on our board that can help conduct the training. We do quarterly trainings. You know, there's two weeks of training for, the, for each one before they start. Wow. Um, and so for us, it's really a, a very, very robust effort uh behind the scenes for us in order to make a very safe that's uh, brilliant experience for humans and dogs and and you know unfortunately sometimes bark social is not the place for for certain dogs um we actually ban more humans than we do dogs um but you know when a dog you know can't is it because they're bad dog owners is it because they don't because sometimes uh, you know people come in and they don't they don't pay attention yeah, yeah. I, I would say that, like, you know, the dogs are never, it's never the issues with the dogs for the most part. It's typically an issue with the with the owners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I I would argue and say I'd rather drink beers with dogs than, than with, uh, with most humans. Amen. But, uh, Amen to so that. So can we talk about how you are, what you have available for the humans at yeah. Bark Social? Yeah. So, um, you know, my background, my whole family uh, through numerous generations have been in the restaurant business, whether it's in New York City or Jersey mm-hmm. uh, or or um, or the, the, the Baltimore area. And so for me, I love food. But, you know, what I've realized with Bark Social is you're not going to get a, you know, a, a black label Pat LaFrieda burger at Bark Social. You're right. going to get, you know, boneless wings, pizza, chicken fingers and fries. In the morning, you're going to get an awesome breakfast sandwich. Um, you know, we're really serious about our coffee. So we have an, an Eversys machine, which is like this $25,000 espresso machine that just makes just amazing lattes every day. Mm. And so for us, like some of the things that I'm really big on as a, as a customer, when I go places is that reproducibility and that's just, and and just the same product every time. But the thing, the thing that you, oh, sorry, go ahead, finish up. 
the yeah, we make everything in a commissary. We ship it off to our stores. Um, and so we have a really consistent product for morning, noon and night. Uh, and then we also have beer, wine and full spirits everywhere. Our number one seller in the company is Frosé. We sell more Frosé than you've ever had in your life. I get it. Uh, that you could ever imagine in your life. And uh, that's our number one thing. Well, the beautiful thing I was going to say about it, when I, the first time I went, I was having a breakfast sandwich in the, you know, the dining area. And two, somebody's oodles were running around. You know, I don't know what kind of dogs they were. a lot of oodles. But I made two friends. One of them climbed up in my lap, lap trying to get the, you know, the sandwich. And the other was sitting there patiently waiting for a piece. I I mean, I loved it. That's my my deal. At our house, I'm on the floor with our dogs more than I am sitting in a chair, which is embarrassing to admit, by the way. But um, (laughs) that's what I love about it. They're They're not segregated outside of that area. They can come in and hang out. Um, it's a beautiful concept, and it's really clearly you thought it through with all the training and the the, the bark rangers and all of that. So, so as we wrap yeah. up here, you have a bark social here in Maryland at um, Pike and Rose, which is a glorious area. What's expansion at this point? Yeah, so we have our first location in Bethesda uh, that opened a little over two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. We have a, our second location is in Baltimore that's been open for about a year and a half. Uh, we just opened our Philadelphia store. Manny in Oak, Manny Oak, right? Right? Yeah. Yep. Which, uh, which is doing very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week or the week after we're going to announce we're, we're actually about to acquire another, uh, dog park brand. Um, and, uh, we're actually, we have two deals signed in, in Los Angeles, one in, uh, or Southern California, one in Los Angeles and another one in the Southern California market. Great. Um, and we're, we're, uh, we're planning to have at least 15 of these stores in the next, in the next two and a half years. And, um, yeah, super excited, but main cool. mid-Atlantic region and you know southern southwest uh, U.S. Excellent. Well, listen, it was great meeting you this morning. As you expand and things change and grow, come back on and join us, okay? So, Absolutely. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for right. joining us that today. Was that was terrific. Okay. All right, Ashbyan, come on up to the mic. So come on up. Let's give a last bit about the Ashbyan. Well, the Ashbyan, just to recap very quick, mm-hmm. we are located in a very... And it's in the town of Paris. Right. Surrounded by beautiful countryside mm-hmm. uh, with 10 very romantic rooms. We have a, a award-winning restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, by the best Who's magazines cooking now? around. My chef or our chef is Jonathan Martin. Mm-hmm. He puts a menu that is very thoughtful, expressive, mm-hmm. uh, inspiring our own garden mm-hmm. and very seasonal. And we offer a la carte menu, tasting menus, lunch through Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. We open six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday for dinner. Mm-hmm. Open for weddings and corporate events. And well, t- and, and we're in, entering the season with the most beautiful setting. Right. Exactly. It's, it's great. Okay. October okay, so- is the perfect time to go when the when the leaves are changing colors. Sure. You have the best view. Okay. Great. <laughs> Thank so you. So tell everybody, please, where they can find you online. Yes, online. Our website is ashbein.com uh-huh. or on Instagram, hashtag ashbein. Great. And our number is 540-592-3900. Thank <laughs> you. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for bringing everything in. Okay, say your speech and then let me do mine. Well, I mean, by now everybody knows at the end of every show, I urge you to continue supporting the Ukrainians, the refugees who are both in the country and who have had to flee their country I don't care if it's a dollar, ten dollars, whatever you can spare. Give up one latte and send it to anybody from Jose Andres and World Central Kitchen to mm-hmm. the Red Cross 
to any one of the relief organizations that are helping those folks because that war continues and they need help. Okay. And um, on that note, I want to remind everybody that there is so much going on in the D.C. metro area. Yes, it is fall and fall does equate to festival season. Head to the list, com, the online e-zine that tells you about everything happening in the D.C. metro area, including everything you heard here today. I will say next week is insane. While we do have 500,000 people coming to town for that festival, there are so many others happening in and around the city. So check it out. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the social platforms. You can find me there. And don't forget, Industry Night is now on YouTube, so you can see me talking to all the guests that I bring in for that show as well. I want to thank you all for joining us in studio today. Be careful out there and have a delicious week. 